When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. It's a podcast about making work better. Hello, I'm Bruce Daisley. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. This is the fourth episode delving into understanding the essence of community and whether in a time when work is separated, building community might be one of the things that we seek to do to make our cultures seem more powerful and connected. I'm thrilled that you're joining me for the fourth part. If you've not listened to the other ones, you don't necessarily have to listen to them in order, but today's guest Gillian Richardson gives some cautionary notes. So for me, it felt the the best at the end, at the end of the series. I've really enjoyed doing these. Um, back to sort of normal flow of things after this, and I've got some lovely guests lined up. I always love it when basically I've been chasing a guest for a couple of years and I, I managed to get them. And I've got two guests coming up that have done that. So Mo Gordat. You might know Mo Gordat. He's the uh, he's the former Google executive who has set himself the task of firstly of solving the formula for happiness, and this podcast used to be explicitly about happiness and work culture, solving the formula for happiness, and setting himself the goal actually of making a billion people happier. And he's just a fabulous guest. And then secondly, I've got someone who I. Really loved reading Lisa Feldman Barrett's book. I, I know someone who's studying to be a brain scientist. And I said to him, you know, if it comes to neuroscience and, and brain surgery, uh, who would you recommend I read? And he said to me, Lisa Feldman Barrett. So I really loved her book, How Emotions Are Made. And uh, I contacted the publisher a couple of years ago. Thankfully, she's got a new book out this autumn. And so as a result of that, I got an interview with her. So some good episodes coming up in the next few weeks. I'm also going behind the scenes in GCHQ. What does it take to become a spy? And uh, what's it like to work in in GCHQ? So some good stuff, right? If you like any of this, please sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter is uh, still continuing to grow. It's for anyone who's interested in workplace culture or the way that work has become remote or how we can improve work. And it's a really good place for either you to tell me what you like and what you don't like. A whole load of people reply each week uh, with their comments. And that's lovely to have an interaction with people. Um, But I I really love the feedback I get from those things. So thank you for that. You can get the newsletter at the website, which is eatsleepworkrepeat.com. 
So today's guest is Gillian Richardson. There's so many really good things in today's uh, podcast that I've put a lot of them in the show notes. So Gillian Richardson moved to New York with the sort of vague ambition of becoming a comedian or writing for comedy shows. And very quickly, she found herself disillusioned about that ambition and also feeling incredibly lonely. So she set about firstly trying to transform her own loneliness and her response was to create The Joy List, which is a newsletter that once a week goes out initially in Manhattan, but now virtually it goes out everywhere across the world. And it tries to connect like-minded individuals with each other. And so through that, she's become this supreme community organiser, someone who understands the core dynamics of good community. She gives us her five rules of community here. And she explains really what a healthy community looks like. She also gives some really interesting tips of what companies can do. One of the devices that she does when she gets people together is she creates these ask walls and these offer walls where people might go and put on the wall what they're trying to solve, what their asks are, and what their offers are, you know, an an act of what we could offer to each other. And she says she's run this at a lot of events because it seems to act as this really sort of kinetic connection between people in communities. Really interesting. She'll take us into that. She gives one quotation from uh, another writer called Peter Block, which is brilliant, and I've put that in the show notes. Community requires a concept of the leader as one who creates experiences for others, experiences that in themselves are examples of our desired future. And I thought that was very relevant for anyone right now who's a boss, a leader, who's trying to sort of create a sense of connection amongst their organisation. If you start breaking it down into thinking about creating experiences, I think it gives you sort of an interesting building blocks of what you need to do. More than anything, I think what's helpful today, similar to Casper de Kyle last week, Gillian talks about some of the cautionary notes about us conflating community and work because community when it works best is a safe space and obviously the essence of work is that there's this sort of relationship where we can fire each other or where the, the bosses can fire us and so that doesn't always equate perfectly to community. She also feels that we shouldn't regard work as our everything. Really interesting cautionary note. If you've enjoyed these discussions, if you're thinking about how you could try to create more community in your workplace culture right now, I think she gives some interesting pointers of things that you could try, way that you can think about experiences as building blocks and cautionary notes. I'll be back after the episode uh, to give you a pointer of how you maybe could work with Gillian, which she asked me to point out. So I'll be back shortly. Here's my interview with the author of Unlonely Planet, Gillian Richardson. Gillian, I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. How, how are you surviving? Where are you? And, and what's the state of lockdown? So I am in New York City, and you're catching me towards the end of a two-week quarantine that I'm doing because I came back to New York City from Texas, which is a hot spot for COVID right now. And so <laughs> I honestly came into this with a little nervousness, like, Am I going to be able to hold a human conversation? I haven't talked to anyone in person for like 11 <laughs> days now. 
So the, the reason why I was so inspired to connect with you is that you're a grand master of community building and, and sort of forming congregations. And I just wanted to kick off actually with something specific to me and my situation, because I wonder if you could help me interpret this. So this something that really struck me as I was sort of reading through your stuff, my dad lives alone through a combination of circumstance and decisions he's made, but he spends a lot of time watching flash mob videos and you know, I'll be honest with you, while it's sort of, it's always charming to sit down and watch them with him, I've always thought it was a little bit odd. I wanted you to share your take on why sometimes we find those videos so captivating to watch, really. That is so fascinating about your dad. And it completely makes sense to me, especially after I've just been alone for almost two weeks. There's this term that Brene Brown talks about a lot that is called collective effervescence. Meaning it's kind of this, this is so not a scientific way of saying it, but this kind of sparkly inner feeling that you get when you're with a ton of people and you're all doing something simultaneously. So that could be you're all at a mega church, you're singing together, you're at a dance and everyone's doing the same dance moves. You're at a protest and everyone is saying the same thing at the same time. It's this feeling of I am part of a larger collective. Mm. For me personally, I feel like I've been my own research subject these past two weeks. I found myself watching a lot of movies that relate to dance and dance competitions. Any recommendations for us? (laughs) (laughs) I love a lot of movies that are like meant for teenagers. Right. Amazing. There's a movie called Work It on Netflix that came out recently. Uh, I might have watched twice. <laughs> and I found myself getting emotional. Oh, also The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman in it. There are just the scenes where it's a collective of people all singing and dancing together. And I just start crying. And I, I really think it's because there's this yearning for a sense of belonging to something that's bigger than me. And for me in particular, missing this magic of gathering in person. And these videos bring up that kind of emotional response that's similar to being in those situations. One of the reasons why I was so inspired to talk to you is that I guess my take on the last six months is that we've all been consumed in the way that the, our circumstances have changed. But a lot of people are only looking one move ahead. So at the moment, a lot of the discussion this year has been celebrating productivity. Everyone's been surprised that we've created a functional version of work, even though we're all working in our bedrooms or kitchens or front rooms or some home offices. But we found that actually getting the job done has been sort of the first obsession. And now we've, we've entered this stage where some people are missing the office and they're, they're missing the, the degree of connecting together. But if we only look a few moves ahead, or if we force ourselves to, to maybe think beyond that, it seems increasingly clear to me that if we move to some version of a hybrid model, either where people are working a few days a week in the office, and then a few days a week at home, or maybe a few few days a month in the office, and then a few, and then the rest at home, it seems pretty clear to me that every organisation is going to recognise over time that they need a community manager and they need to be far more intentional about sort of forming these groups. And I just wonder if you could give me, firstly, your take on that and and sort of whether you think that's an accurate take or have I got that maybe slightly wrong? Well, so what I'm hearing you say is that 
Because so many companies are transitioning mostly online, they need someone whose sole job it is to ensure that there's still a cohesive sense of community in the workplace. Is that it? Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly right. I think, you know, a lot of people have have started to realize now that maybe they don't want to have this remote work life 24-7, five days a week, because they're just missing feeling part of something. And for me, it strikes me that what we're doing is we're, we're being too extreme, we're being too dichotomous, that actually you can have a sense of people feeling part of something without necessarily being part of it five days a week. And I wonder if a community manager can fill that gap. That's a really interesting point. And I think, at least from my experience of belonging to a co-working space and having there be community managers there, what I found was so beautiful about their role is that they are the person that you know you can go to when there's something wrong or something you're struggling with that's not really related to your work, but it's you don't know anyone in the space you you want to have a certain kind of gathering or conversation and you don't know where to begin. And this person is there to be, they're not management, they're not someone who you're reporting to, they're kind of a neutral party that you can collaborate with and share what's on your heart in a way that feels safe. And I think that every workplace needs that because in my experience of having someone who I report to I don't necessarily feel comfortable communicating with a manager, my emotional state or the fact that I feel lonely, it, it feels kind of outside of the, the point of our conversations. And so having a community manager and getting really clear on what their point is, I think is really crucial. And at least for me, because full disclosure, I don't really have experience working in a traditional work environment, I've only ever been a freelancer. And so there, there's some elements of this that I, to be honest, just do not understand. And from discussions I've had with people, I feel like it would be really beautiful if the community manager could also kind of be someone who, in a secular way, does sort of pastoral care, who is there to just cure people's problems and emotional issues, which perhaps could sound strange or outside of the realm of work. And at the same time, we're spending a third of our lives in the office and there's... I imagine a lot of discussions people want to have that don't feel appropriate to have with just their boss, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if we could take a step back then. So obviously you're in this position of expertise. So what do you think characterizes a good community? Maybe it's worth you giving sort of the background. You sort of created community yourself to some extent. Maybe you could explain that and then give us an in to what you think characterizes all good communities. Yeah, well, so my background is, first of all, I, I moved to New York City right after I graduated from college and was really excited to start my life as an adult. You wanted to be a comedy writer, right? Yes, I wanted to be a comedy writer. I moved to New York City because I really had a desire to write for late night TV I very quickly changed my mind when I actually started to meet people who did write for late night TV. And in my judgment, most of them did not seem happy and kind of caught up in the whole bureaucracy red tape of the entertainment industry. I had a moment when I moved to the city where I made plans with a friend and I'd gotten all ready and I was all excited to go out my first night as an adult. He never responded to my texts. There's just this huge aching feeling I felt of, oh my goodness, I'm in this city. I don't really know anyone. I don't have friends here. I'm alone. And it was such a scary feeling. I kind of overcompensated and 
filled my calendar with things to do. I spent the entire summer really committing myself to finding what I call just my community, my congregation of people. And I found those people, these communities that lifted me up and helped me believe that I could be a better version of myself, like meditation communities, sober dance communities, uh, a digital detox summer camp for adults called Camp Grounded. When Donald Trump was elected in November 2016, and I heard people start to say around me, people are bad. I can't trust people anymore. Kind of things along the lines of everything's just going down the drain. It was so different. And in contrast to my experience of the world in that moment and my experience of New York City, where with these people who are filled with so much love. And so I started a weekly newsletter called The Joy List to let people know spaces where they could go alone and leave with a new friend. And kind of since I began that project, people began confessing to me via email and in person how lonely they felt. And it was this incredible experience of realizing, oh, there's been this problem all around me all along. And people just didn't feel safe enough to share with me what was really going on emotionally with them. And it kind of felt like one of those moments where I, I found my calling. I found the kind of the purpose of why I'm here is to help people with this issue of loneliness and disconnection. So, so you set about creating that. When, when you look, uh, and I was really taken with the fact that you sort of describe really sort of how you set about doing it and and the the experiences you've had are there any things that you look at that you maybe could pass on as advice to someone else maybe someone looking to build a community either of a passion of theirs or maybe in their workplace what are the what are the foundational rules that you've discovered well as if i actually as you were saying this i pulled my book off of my shelf so that i properly read this. So in the in the introduction of the book, I have five things that I've noticed that are underlying shared threads between these gatherings. And it's five things. So one was they happen every week. Two, the same people show up consistently. Three, there is space for vulnerable conversation and deep reflection. Four, there is mentorship and spiritual guidance, especially from elders. And five, there is an easily accessible way for members to give back to the community. I say this because this is a reason why organized religion excels so much and why people go to church or to synagogue or to mosque. And it's such an important part of their life because organized religion fulfills all five of these things when done well. Mm. And for people who are not religious, who don't feel comfortable in religious spaces, especially young people, because studies show that fewer and fewer young people are joining a church or a synagogue or a mosque every year. We, we need to still have what I call a healthy congregation, meaning a secular, but still very committed to each other group of people. And I wonder if, so, so to try and sort of dissect these things, I wonder if there are components to work that mean it isn't suited to being a good community in that sense or a good congregation in that sense. One of the things that really struck me was the discussion you have about the importance of touch and how a lot of people, especially, I think you mentioned that uh, someone tweeted, does anyone else miss being touched? And it was an experience uh, in my head, I've conflated it with the pandemic, but the, you know, the, the, the absence of touch through this experience for a lot of people will obviously feel something that they really grieve and, the, and they're, 
their sort of almost animalistic connection to others. But obviously, I think we've graduated to a state with work where we've kind of eliminated touch as one of the things we do within a workplace environment. So are there any things that mean that work isn't suited to being community or that we need to have an awareness of? Yeah, well, there's so I, <laughs> I, I gave a talk on this for this conference called CMX, which is for professional community builders. And it was so fun for me to kind of create my suggestions for the workplace. So it was essentially on this topic of how can companies help their employees feel like they belong? And a point that I made was that there are a lot of things that it is not appropriate for people to do in the workplace that do create a sense of belonging. And the biggest example I give of that is really any sort of healing work that could look like a women's circle, a men's circle, a Tony Robbins retreat a yoga retreat, something around trauma, whatever that is. I think that really when people don't feel like they belong, it's often because of kind of built up internal gunk that has accumulated over the years of things in their past, parts of themselves that they have not looked at. And so, of course, it makes sense that for an employee to be really healthy in the workplace, they need to be healthy outside of the workplace. They need to be healthy in their relationship with themselves and their relationship with, with their faith, if that's something that matters to them. And it's not appropriate for that work to be done in the office. Mm. And so I argue in the talk that so many companies, they give their employees budgets for kind of personal development. And my suggestion is to broaden that to include really any sort of healing work and whatever your employee feels like is necessary for themselves. And that this is not in the talk. This is something I kind of realized later, that they don't need to report exactly where this money is going because it might be very personal. For example, it could be they're, they're struggling with alcoholism or an eating disorder, or they were abused as a child and they want to be in a circle that meets with a therapist to discuss that. These are issues that will impact our sense of belonging and place at work, whereas the office, it's not the place to actually do that. Interesting, because I, I read the bit that you, you talk about some research by John Capasio and William Patrick, which said, I'll give you the quotation, protracted loneliness makes it difficult for us to evaluate other people's intentions. I think any of us can recognize that. When we spend a lot of time alone at home, we might end up misinterpreting the motivation of others. And I think what I did made the mistake then of doing is thinking, right, how can work solve that loneliness? And and if I'm hearing you right, you're saying, look, work cannot be expected to be the solution to all these things, but work may enable and facilitate people to find their own route to solving those things themselves. Is that right? Yes. And I think, of course, work can be a really beautiful space where you feel held and appreciated and supported enough to share your boundaries and things that you're not okay with. And that in itself can be very healing, especially if someone grew up in a home where sharing your feelings or boundaries is not okay. And there's much deeper healing work that some people might not necessarily think about. And imagine in the corporate world, unless their employer is saying, hey, by the way, We're going to give you this much money every year to do anything that you think will help you heal and be a better part of yourself. I think they could probably be separate than the ways people traditionally spend budgets like that, which is on 
gym memberships and therapy and to potentially go a little more alternative than that if folks are comfortable. Because, yes, to to go back to your point before, there are some things that... (laughs) help with someone's sense of disconnection or loneliness where it's just simply not appropriate to do that in the workplace. Okay, that's really interesting. And it's sort of a a good cautionary note to me, actually. I think, you know, I I think I was sort of believing that maybe if we can create a congregation amongst our employees, that it can be, it can provide a solution. But I guess, you know, truly you're right. So a safe space where people can talk about their inner challenges is, is, of course, never fully going to be a a full overlap with their workplace. Thinking specifically about workplaces then, and and I recognize, as you say there, you've you've been fortunate enough to escape the corporate (laughs) world yourself. (laughs) But um, if you were sitting there and and someone came to you and said, right, we've, we've got this problem that the tribe has been disbanded and there used to be a degree of cohesion to this team and you know whether it was someone turning turning up with cake or whether it was someone bringing out a bag of snacks or whether it was an occasional bottle of something get opened after hours that there seemed to be sort of a strong bond between people and in fact one of the things that I've witnessed is a few people have said to me we've survived the last six months pretty well because there seemed to be a good team cohesion. Right now, as we sit and we imagine forwards and we we think about how we can create something like that in a very different world, are there any pointers that you'd be sitting there as you worked this through with them, sitting there saying, these are the things to be aware of? Ooh, this is a very fun imagination challenge. I imagine one thing that I would offer is at at a lot of conferences and things like that, I've been brought in to create these big ask and offer walls, meaning it's kind of a space where people share what they are struggling with and what they can help other people with. And it it is such a simple concept. Mm. And yet I keep seeing in physical spaces over and over, it's something that really brings people together because one, it gives people permission to ask for help and asking for help can be really scary. And also people love to be helpful. It it helps us feel deeply connected. Like for me, when, when a friend asks me for help, I feel honored because I see that they trust me and their kind of trust builds when someone asks me for help. If I was kind of in charge of a company, I would try and create a kind of virtual ask and offer wall or have a, like a zoom meeting where we kind of facilitate building this thing out say like, what are you struggling with right now? We're, we're not spending as much time together. We don't have these casual conversations like we typically do. And we're all here because we're a team. And so what are you struggling with in your work that you might've not felt comfortable sharing? Or what can you help people with that you would just love to offer to help these people on your team that you care about? I'd be curious to see what folks would share there and my prediction is that you would probably be surprised to see what people share because it's it's a new space that you didn't have before as a team. It's really interesting. One of the lessons that I got from from you, you quote Peter Block. And and Peter Block, I think what you've helped me do is is sort of understand a different model of leadership that I think is going to be more adaptable to this changed time that we're going to enter into. The quotation from Peter Block is community requires a concept of the leader as one who creates experiences for others, experiences that in themselves are examples of our desired future. And 
What for me that was really interesting about is because maybe leadership and directing groups of people has been more literally directive. It's been more about setting a strategy and moving on. And it struck me as I read that, and I was interpreting it in light of the situation we're all in now, that to some extent, a good leader who's maybe trying to create any sense of community in their work is going to be trying to create experiences and, and trying to conjure with emotions or to create memorable moments more than ever before. It really struck me that, you know, a leader thinking about how can I create a gathering of my team, and maybe it's virtually right now, or maybe they're sort of plotting ahead to when the band gets back together in person at some point in 2021. But it really struck me that a a good leader right now is going to be thinking about creating experiences. And it, it just really struck me as a different way to think about the, the direction that leaders might be providing. Uh, I think that's a really beautiful point. And that's, that's what I want for leadership. I think I feel very, I guess the word would be like averse to this kind of traditional masculine leader that we've so upheld in culture of like, oh, this person, they don't care how other people feel. They'll do anything to get to the, to, <laughs> I'm struggling with even any business terms. They're struggling to really <laughs> reach their goals. And it's kind of like this suited up, tense dude archetype. Yeah. And to shift and to say, especially now, people are scared. They don't know what's coming. We just want something to hold on to. We want to feel taken care of as everything is just kind of careening out of control or it's always been out of control, but we're really feeling it now to to have someone who can be a really loving presence and show care people will really rally around anyone who can do that for them right now. Mm. It's, it's really interesting as, as I'm sort of, so obviously I've spent some time immersed in your work and now I'm sort of thinking, um, I'm interpreting it as you're talking. And the thing that strikes me is that maybe I've sort of imagined this answer that companies will be trying to create communities amongst their workers. What I'm sort of getting from you is that, or the way I'm interpreting what you're saying, is that the answer might be more complex than that. It might be a workforce has multiple communities that are overlapping that maybe have got, or and these some communities that exist outside the workforce that are energizing and enable the, the, the members of them to be better at work. So it, it just strikes me that the skills that are there are still very vital. We need to think about them in a less linear way. My idea that a workforce will now become a community is probably too confined. And we need to be thinking, how do we channel these skills and how do we have these super congregators, these these community builders, but maybe these 20 communities within an organization rather than one? What do you think about me trying to make sense of the world? <laughs> we'll make sense of it together. It's. Uh, I think I, I struggle with this idea because... I I feel kind of squirrely and nervous when I start imagining a company being someone's entire world. Like, okay, if your yoga class is at your company and your women's circle is at your company and your childcare is at your company and your your book club is at your company, what happens if you get fired? Mm. What happens if when you're on your own on the weekend, when you travel, when you're 
when you want to become a stronger part of your community, I'm just experimenting with this out loud because I don't really, I haven't thought about this too much. There's a tension of like a, a company being someone's entire universe. Especially because I guess you've seen firsthand the way that being part of a community can be transformational for an individual and their, their self actualization. So the idea that then that would be almost a perk of their employment probably seems going too far in terms of the relationship we've got with our employers. Would that be right? Yeah. And I, I guess I'm just skeptical of how deep someone could really go into pushing themselves or their, their kind of edges of comfort and personal growth with people who are in their company, because uh, I know of some people who run more progressive companies for products that are kind of in the, the meditation or spirituality space. And when I hear of them kind of trying to get their, their team to do these really edgy or out there activities together, I kind of, you can't see me, but it's kind of scrunched my face. I'm like, mm, is that even, is it even a professional environment then? Like if you're, and I'm working this out out loud, but like if you're, if you're crying, thinking about something that happened to you as a child, how, how can you go into a, a meeting on Monday and feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. feel like things are okay. And at the same time, as I'm saying this, I'm like, maybe that will help your team feel even more cohesive and stronger and more connected. I think the reason why I was sort of intrigued with it was because if people are feeling a degree of loneliness and, you know, loneliness transforms our subjective experience of so many things, it, you know, it goes straight through into making us more inclined to fall ill and, and all manner of things. It sort of, it has this all encompassing impact on us. And so I was thinking, you know, if we are finding ourselves in the world now where people are remotely dialing in from, from far flung locations, then to try to create a sense of collective cohesion could be of value to an organization so to transform us from these people individually making pins one by one. It actually turns us into a, a group of people where we're, we're making something, but we feel part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, I guess the way you're framing this, I guess there's a danger that an unscrupulous firm could misappropriate then some of the aspects of good communities and, and use it maybe without necessarily a, a strong moral code to, to try and make people feel more cultishly connected to an organization. I recognize the, the pitfalls there. I do wonder though, if there might be some benign uses that even if we're not expecting people to give of themselves and, and reveal their innermost thoughts, if there isn't a power of bringing people together in congregation, you know, the, the, I share a fascination with you about the Robin Dunbar work, about putting people into choirs and sing, seeing them sing ABBA songs together. And, you know, they feel, I don't think that's necessarily misappropriating the, the powers of, of congregation, but people can feel more connected to those around them. And I guess I was intrigued in this moment we're entering into, which seems bounteous, in terms of it's going to free people from living in places that maybe they can't really afford to live. And it's going to enable them to work in a way that maybe enables them to 
to deal with the complexities of their life. So, you know, looking at the upsides of remote work, I guess I was intrigued whether there was a way that we could try and build a stronger sense of cohesion, if not community with these people by learning some of your lessons. That completely makes sense to me. And I think I realize that I am coming from a place when I think about healing work and community work. I'm a rare person, I understand, in that I've been in some very, very intense spaces for healing work. And a lot of people don't have that reference of going on a a five-day women's retreat where you're going through things in your past and things like that. And that a lot of things that create community are really beautiful things that I think could benefit a company totally. There's a example that I give in the book of this event that I used to go to and that I used to run in my home in Brooklyn called Balanced, which I think is the perfect example of an event that kind of has some elements of organized religion and fosters community, gets people to be vulnerable to their comfort level and is not pushing people to an edge that I think is probably best suited outside of a company. For, for folks who haven't read my book, the, the kind of format of the event is people come together. There's some time for you to, to hang out and to chat. There's a theme for the gathering. And so the theme could be uh, the passing of time or aging, for example. You meditate together then you read a poem and then you... You get together in groups of three and you each have a few minutes uninterrupted to share what you felt after the meditation and hearing this poem, what's kind of coming up for you. And then you share in the larger group. It's super simple and a really beautiful facilitated way to help people feel comfortable opening up because you're relaxed, you've meditated, you've heard a beautiful poem, you're sharing in a small group where people often feel more comfortable opening up when it's a small group versus speaking to the whole group. And then you get to hear some folks' experiences in the large group. And it's very simple, I think very corporate friendly, uh, and also a really beautiful community building experience. Back with more Gillian Richardson after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now back to my discussion with the founder of The Joy List and the author of Unlonely Planet, Gillian Richardson. It, it strikes me, you know, one of the things that you sort of described there is that one of the things that often enhances the gatherings of communities is a set of rules, a set of set, set of limitations. You described one, ex, one specific example where someone who had come along to an event and wasn't helpful to, to the rest of the dialogue of the event. And so by applying a rule, it actually enhanced it. And it's very similar to what Priya Parker talks about in The Art of Gathering is that, you know, gatherings are defined by the rules that we set for them, which are sort of most accommodating, smiley, friendly version of ourselves must think, oh, why would we create rules? I thought this was, we're all meant to be having fun, but rules seem to be a helpful device. Is that right? Oh, completely. And rules also, they help you know when you show up in the space, what you have in common with people. And it helps it helps people feel more at ease. So for example, when people get together in person, I hosted an event called the Joylist Social, which is for people to make new friends in New York City. I found because people usually come alone and we we have a few moments where you're you're in small group conversations. You, there's there's no alcohol in the space. There's no phones in the space. I noticed people felt more at ease the more often I repeated saying Everyone who's here is here to make a new friend. Everyone who's here is the kind of person who's willing to go to an event in New York City, be sober and connect. Like we're all here because we came over these barriers and we arrived here together. And so know that anyone who you're talking to, you share all of these things in common. And I could see visibly in people's body language, knowing that decreased their anxiety because that's that's everyone's fear or a lot of people's fear in group spaces is, oh, this person doesn't want to talk to me. I don't fit in here. Like we're all just random people mashed together. That's why a huge happy hour with no rules for me feels very stress inducing. Uh, yeah. I just got rocketed into this room of a hundred people. What do I do now? It's interesting what you say there, because it's back then to the what we talked about before of the role of the leader sort of creating these spaces far more and you there, you know, we, we all know that sort of managing a state of awkwardness is, is part of, part of like being an adult, you know, sort of how to, how to feel less awkward in various situations. It, it comes back again, that example to the role of a leader in terms of creating some unique space. And, and I guess, you know, typically leaders haven't necessarily perceived themselves to be these curators of experience. But for me, what you've articulated there is something that I think company leaders, team leaders are going to be have to think more about going forward, sort of thought. Yeah. And to be honest, it doesn't have to be the, the head of a team or the leader of a company that does this. I think there's at the end of the book, I talk a lot about the 
burnout of community organizers who are more in the kind of grassroots space and how we have all these very valuable skills to offer. And yet in a lot of corporate spaces, it hasn't necessarily been seen of how incredibly important it is to be able to create a space where people can really drop their walls, connect and feel safe. And so what I would offer is that it doesn't have to be the leader of a company. You can bring in an outside event producer. Uh, my friend Ezra Bookman has a company called Ritualist, where he literally is a consultant who designs rituals and oftentimes for companies. And that there are so many people who are in the event production space and the community organizing space who are out of work right now because we're not hosting in-person events and who I think could do a really beautiful job and bring an outside perspective into these workspaces. That's fascinating. It's just probably a level of detail that a lot of organizations haven't necessarily thought about. Creating rituals is something that we often speak fondly of if our company's got one, but thinking about being intentional to create one would seem a step too far for a lot of us. It can be something small, I think, at least for myself, when I went, I did not think about rituals at all. I would think of some sort of elaborate religious ritual or something like that. And it, a ritual could be as simple as, oh, at the end of our Zoom calls, we all go around and say one thing that we're grateful for. Or we all say like one word for what we want for the people in this, in this meeting. Like we want play for them this week. We want joy for them this week. Something as mm. simple as that, just to bring a little more intentionality and heart into a space. It can be very simple. When you think about community, who who inspires you? Which thinkers make you think in a different way? Oh my goodness. I love this question so much. I I love shouting people out. Okay. One is Casper Turkile. He is one of the team members of a thing called Sacred Design Lab. And he also just published a book on the power of ritual It's just, he's such a kind-hearted community leader, someone who he's been very helpful for me in my career as I've been coming up in this space to kind of introduce me to people and lift me up. Uh, So he's one person. Another, my friend Ezra Bookman, as I mentioned before, who runs a ritual consultancy lab. And we've been, he, he ran the rituals for my events at the Joylist Social It's been really beautiful to see him kind of growing. He was in the New York Times this week for his ritual design lab. I don't know if this is community as much, but I also want to shout out my friend Sean Galanos, who runs a company called The Love Drive. And watching his work has been fascinating because he he teaches people how to be better communicators in love. And just his business model is so simple. And I adore it where he he has people ask him questions once a week on Instagram around their their relationships and he gives advice and he offers a lot of workshops and community Q&As where people can learn communication skills, relationship skills and just these things that it I think people assume that we just know them and then <laughs> seeing how popular his work is. I'm like, wow, people are really struggling to share their boundaries, what's on their heart, what they want in their relationships. And I imagine this, this also transfers over into the workplace. Like we're, we haven't been taught these skills of 
communicating and kind of negotiating what we want and need to feel safe and heard and appreciated. Yeah. How do you think it's impacted communities by having to go virtual? Has, has it strengthened some communities? Is it Has it weakened them? Obviously, one of the things that probably through what I've understood is that we've been energized by being in people's presence and the absence of that must have made it harder. But from your experience, what has the impact been? I don't totally know what the impact has been. I can share my hope of what I hope the impact will be. My my desire, my hope is that in this time where we have been away from in-person gathering, we can really feel what we've been missing and feel the power of these gatherings because I really think that the work of community organizing has been undervalued for far too long. These people like myself who are very heart-centered, who bring people together to create community and connection when we're not doing this work in person. My hope is that people can really see like, wow, these people have been doing a huge service and hopefully start to financially value the work that we do more because in this space, people who are community organizers burn out very quickly because we give so much of ourselves and financially folks have not really kind of caught up with what the value of this work truly is. It's so interesting. You mentioned the burnout thing. I get the impression it even caught you by surprise when two nuns told you that. Is that right? That, you know, sometimes we can feel so swept away with something. We don't even notice ourselves being burnt out. Oh, completely. And to give some quick context on what you'd shared, I I share a story of my friend Katie Gordon, who is at a conference and in conversation with two nuns about these young millennial community leaders who they were surrounded by. And she was expecting the nuns to just praise them for all this beautiful work they're doing. And instead, the nuns were saying, our lives are designed for us to be in support of people. And we, we are financially supported. We have a home. We are able to just focus on being of service to the people who come to us. And you all are trying to balance a career and paying your rent and being of service to all these people. And they could see how run down these young people were starting to be. And they just expressed a concern for them. And it's true as I've, I've been doing this work for almost five years now. I, I do start to feel sad that there is not much community support or uh, institutional support for young or any community leaders. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such an interesting point actually because you describe all of this incredible stuff and and I guess to some extent we almost expect that people will buzz and thrive on the back of the the ups. I think the lesson of of life full stop is that we're learning far more that there is a, a finite amount of energy that any of us can can bring to things. Oh, completely. So if you're listening, thank your, thank your community builders and organizers and, and gatherers, organizers, what am I saying? And just let them know how much their work means to you because folks don't hear it enough. I'm, I'm really thrilled for the conversation today because I think you've challenged some of the things that I'd casually and lazily decided in my head. <laughs> you, I think you've demonstrated that it's more complex than, you know, maybe 
something that workplaces might just appropriate because it's convenient and it gets them out of a hole right now. So it's been incredibly valuable for me and I'm thrilled to to have the opportunity to chat to you. So thank you so much, Gillian. Oh my goodness, of course. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Gillian. I really love that discussion. Gillian obviously is our final episode talking about community and she's just a supreme operator in in the community space. Firstly, I want to give a shout out to Gillian. She's uh, she's available. If you want to work with her in a professional capacity, you can hire Gillian. So you can hire her to be maybe your coach or you can do one of the, she's created an online course, which is about creating better boundaries. If you liked her work, you can work uh, professionally. You can you can hire her to, to work with you and you can connect with her via the show notes. There's a link to her website. So I guess, you know, interestingly for me, so I've done these four episodes on community and how every company should be hiring a community manager. And I think I've learned along the way a lot of things that really sort of solidify it in my head. Great communities are about safety. Great communities are about people feeling genuine, authentic connection to each other. Great communities are about people um, having a sense of belonging where they can come along and do things and share sort of collective space. So to some extent, they are consistent with our workplaces, but they're also not wholly consistent. I think there's a really interesting lesson in that for us where we can learn about work can be a series of communities. It doesn't necessarily have to be one. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. If you have, please do get in touch or share them. Um, It's always good when people share these things and bring new listeners in. Uh, I've been really grateful for your company over these last episodes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.